the reason and why to automate now seems a heck of a lot better because it's just that much easier to justify today. Can't find the labor force to do it? Costs are higher? Wow, now is a good time to do that. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 96. Today, we're talking about Cobots, Hollywood, and new applications for robotics. Now, this is another episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour that was recorded live. A couple months ago, we were at IME West in Anaheim, which many of you automation folks probably know as ATX West. And we had a chance to sit down in front of a live audience over a beer for this interview. Our guest for that was Jerry Perez. Fanuc America's Executive Director of Global Accounts, and this week we are airing that interview on this show. Now, most of you should be familiar with Fanuc, one of the biggest names in industrial robotics in the world, so you can probably guess that this is a very robot-centric conversation. But here are a few things you can expect more specifically from this episode, though in no particular order. First, we're obviously going to talk about robotics, where we're seeing them used in new applications beyond the automotive space, as well as some practical uses for collaborative robots or cobots. Second, we go beyond the workforce issues that we always discuss on this show and talk about some of the other areas where automation and robotics are bringing relief. Third, we exit the industrial space for a bit and talk about robots in the context of art, Hollywood, and pop culture in general. Finally, since we recorded this live at a trade show, we talk about the conference a little bit, as well as what social media's role in trade shows is, as well as manufacturing in general. I should also note that this episode is co-hosted by Jake Hall, the manufacturing millennial who first appeared back in episode 41 and who's become a de facto co-host when we do a number of these live events. You know, honestly, I might as well start referring to him as Manufacturing Happy Hour's chief robot correspondent since that often seems to be the focus of our joint episodes. Anyway, if you want to access any of the resources mentioned in this episode or connect with Jerry, you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 96. That'll take you to the show notes for today's episode. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode or if you're enjoying the show in general, please consider leaving us a five-star rating over at iTunes or on Spotify. If you're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, please leave a review as well. It can be as short as a couple sentences. But nevertheless, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes or manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Spotify will take you right to either of those spots if you're not already there. Anyway, let's get rolling. It's time for Jake and I to jump behind the mics as we chat with Jerry Perez. Well, everyone, welcome to a special live recording of Manufacturing Happy Hour. My name is Chris Lukey, host of Manufacturing Happy Hour. I'm excited today to be joined by my co-host, Jake Hall, the Manufacturing Millennial, and of course, Jerry Perez, Executive Director of Global Accounts for Fanuc America, which kind of leads us, that's going to be my second question. I'm going to get there in a second, but my first question is, this is Manufacturing Happy Hour, so it's it's meant to be a candid conversation that you might have with someone over a drink, so if we had a beverage in front of us, what beverage would that be? It would be, uh, you know, since my mother may be listening to this, it'd be water. No, it wouldn't be. Yeah, you know, it used to be any type of brown liquor there was, but now it's it's Irish whiskey, very specific. 
All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not as detrimental. You know, I've got a couple of kits now. You got to be able to, you know, function a little bit longer. Yeah. 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 So say we're having this conversation over some some good Irish whiskeys. I feel like this is a con like a question that would come up as a result of that discussion is Jake and I were chatting about this earlier and we realized we didn't actually know the answer. So the question everyone wants to know is, how do you officially pronounce Fanuc? Well, you, you're saying it the proper way now. OK, because we know maybe 40, 60 percent of the marketplace pronounces it as Fanuc, Fanuc, which is Fanuc. what I had learned it up until this morning. So I just got corrected on this today. Yeah. Well, you know, when you can talk to a customer and they're saying Fanuc, but you say Fanuc over and over again and they keep saying Fanuc, you kind of just <laughs> go with it. See, we we actually there was a very big push in the early 2000s for us to correct that in the marketplace. Ah, and it get it got corrected. OK, for about four years. Mm. And then the marketplace said, you know, we don't care what you say. Well, buy your robots, no problem. But this is what we're going to call it. So we just kind of go with it now. It's funny how branding kind of works itself out like that many times. And, you know, I've been asking you a series of intro questions, but I'm going to hand it off to Jake to ask our first official question of the interview. Yeah, absolutely. So there's some really interesting numbers that came out by A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. I'm going to list them here right now. So in 2021, we saw a 28% rise in industrial robot sales here in North America. In fact, it sold, it made a record by selling almost 40,000 units. And what we saw was that there was, for the second year in a row, non-automotive applications are the ones that led the industry in terms of new robot integration. What do you think is the largest driver of non-automotive applications with robotics? Sure. There happened to be a global pandemic I think we might remember, you know, that. And uh, a lot of people were buying things where? Online. There's a huge driver. I mean, uh, in some marketplaces, some countries where online commerce wasn't a big, it doesn't have this, the, the, the same foothold it had in the U.S. It grew 20% in certain countries all by itself due to the pandemic. I mean, that's a huge, huge growth sector in online commerce for sure. But truth is, since 2016, we've been seeing that that that's that switch over from typically, yes, automotive heavy. You think of robotics, yep, automotive, automotive. And the other part of that is where people have been coming from in the general industry market was from where? Automotive. You know, so you've got the definitely e-commerce industry pandemic grew the med device market. I mean, how many covid test kits were being produced? How much money got created in the automation into uh, success stories of ventilators getting automated, you know, produced automatically or with automation and robotics. And that had to happen overnight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the metals industry was up 91% with robotics since 2020. The other thing we are at IME West, which is five different shows, MD&M, um, Plastech, ATX. And, and a lot of the, I would say 60% of the show here is medical based plastics and, and in the industry. In fact, when we look at it, life sciences, pharma and biomed was up 40% with robotics applications in 2020. I mean, that's a massive number where you're seeing more and more companies turning to automation as their source of manufacturing. Absolutely. I mean, we, I say we, like us, whatever youngins, we were predicting in what the early 2000s, there's going to be a gap in the labor, you know, labor market in 2018, 2020. There happened to also be a pandemic, right? In terms of workforce, the great resignation, we've all heard that come out, right? So there was already a large gap. 
and trying to fill the manual labor market. Uh, people just don't want to fill these jobs. I mean, that's kind of the truth. There's also the, there's a gap and then the people realize they can take time off and all the people that left the industry. We're, we're since 2020, our, our, you know, our fake, you know, our phones ringing off the hooks. Kind of true. Companies are saying to us, large manufacturers, we can't fill 30% of our, of our, you know, of our workforce doing these jobs, which typically you would think would be filled. Good paying, advanced manufacturing type jobs. And now those are a lot of applications where, hey, let's put a robot in front of that machine now. You know, there's some applications where we can now do that with collaborative robots now that make it more easily, you know, able to, you know, do some of these other operations that you can't fill, you know, jobs with. So I've got a question and then I'm going to hand it back to Jake after this. But something you brought up in, in your last answer, you're talking about the new applications, right? I'd love to hear a particular application that um, Fanuc has gotten into recently that you're particularly excited sure. about. Maybe if you can present it to us in the context of the problem it solves or a story that would help the audience out there. Sure. You know, when it's, uh, you know, late at night, and you've had uh, a couple happy hours you know, everyone likes to go to, there's a, you know, a, a castle of a certain color, cool application in the back. You never realize now that there's a, might be a robot back there, you know, manning the fry basket. That's a cool application that, so one of the markets uh, that I happened to study in the 2010, 2012 was this food market, not just regular food market in the factory food market, but it was, the thought was, how come this isn't automated yet? You go into a fast food place, you look back there, and the food, you know, those companies have designed these manual people, you know, basically acting like robots. Why is that not, you know, automated yet? And I think part of that is with labor costs going up, labor shortages. Wow, the reason and why to automate now seems a heck of a lot better because it's just that much easier to justify today. Can't find the labor force to do it. Costs are higher. Wow, now is a good time to do that. And that's why in the technology, it's not where we're creating something brand new to go into the back of the kitchen there. So it's interesting, okay, eight years ago you studied this. How come it's not out there yet? You don't know if you were to go back into some of these, these fast food joints and see robots back there. I'd say give it five, six more years, and all of a sudden that's, that adoption rate's going to be you know, climbing that nice, that, that steep curve in that marketplace. I'm not talking about, you know, the marketplace that everybody talks about for cool applications, you know, AI picking, uh, singulation and sorting and all, you know, every, you guys couldn't cover that in another trade show. But in this one, I would point to that as a very cool, you know, application that robots to, to come to interaction with you in your regular daily life, right? People are, hey, where's my Jetsons? Where's my Rosie? Right, different marketplace, but I think you're going to start to see some more of those industrial robots start to be in, you know, showing up in your grocery store, showing up in, you know, a fast food joint, your restaurants, things like that in the service industry. You know, I think that's one of those things that we've seen the pandemic create is really a perfect storm of this transformation of automation into people's lives at a lot quicker pace. You know, with like, as you mentioned, you know, e-commerce was this massive growth. And the reason, you know, that, that took a boom so quickly is because it was already going to transform into that industry. E-commerce was eventually going to take place of where everyone was buying it. I just think, in my opinion, the pandemic really propelled that forward five years or even a decade. And we experienced this massive demand for automation that was going to happen in 10 years and 18 months. 
Absolutely. We've had record growths, right? If there's a marketplace, you're going to a market where you have in a pandemic record growth the first year and then the following year, additional record growth thereafter. Why is that? It is that absolute magnification of that shortage of labor. It's the magnification of a certain market sector that's booming. Everybody was doing, you weren't going to the store anymore. You could get your, you know, you, there's automation in the back of a lot of, uh, you know, these the super, super stores, right? People don't know there's actually automation in the back there doing, you know, stacking and picking and placing and getting your stuff ready to prepare for you. You know, automated, you know, food delivery, you know, food service to get that stuff prepared. That's it's people may not realize it's not just in the big factories, distribution centers. It's actually in your, you know, your local store and yeah, your buying. My local Meyer, which I'm out of Grand Rapids, where Meyer's headquartered globally. Yeah. A lot of their stores are rolling out now. They don't realize has an, an automated storage, an ASRS system pre-building their what they call shipped. Um, packaging where if you go online and you order your grocery list, it's being a lot of times fully automated, assembled and packaged for them without an operator doing that. You know, the next thing I want to talk about is um, robotics and automation is a general concept where we've seen a lot in the automotive industry, but it's becoming a lot closer to people. And I think people are interacting on a, a, a different way. For people who are worried about robots and, you know, not necessarily from the fact that they're going to take over the world, that's not a discussion they want to have. But in terms of risk of how do you keep a worker safe near a robot, what are new applications or products that that FANUC is putting out to address, I could say, those worries or risks that a lot of first time users would, would, would ask about? Sure. Well, We've come out with our, you know, which is now the largest collaborative robot, you know, series in the marketplace. It's not necessarily something new, but as technology gets adopted or more readily available, the marketplace gets, uh, I don't know, easier to accept. It, it's, hey, if I can have a robot that I can move by my hand, I don't have to program a robot. I don't need to understand code. I need to teach this the way a human does it. It opens up at least the, the, the thinking, the, the opportunity to kind of thinking of, of a small manufacturer, mom and pop shop, a job shop, who's going to run. I'm going to make 100 of these parts for the week. I'm going to make 100 of these other parts for the week. That allows putting a, a you know, collaborative robot in front of that machine to tend that CNC machine. Now they can run that overnight. I can double my production just by able to run that overnight, keep my people on staff even you know, for my day shift. Who wants to work night shift? Do you want to work night shift? No. no, no. Otherwise, we'd be doing this at night. Maybe that's a that's you know nighttime PM happy hour. Yeah, exactly. You know. I was going to say this is good for a nighttime activity, it, not not working in the factory per se. Right. So, so you know, you got me thinking about collaborative robots when we were talking about the restaurant example. Can you share? Because I think cobots are a very new concept to a lot of people. Right? They still think it's something that oh yeah, I've seen that, but I don't really know how it works. What are the sweet spots for cobots right now? Sure. Cobots really, when you think about it, I can go into technical terms, but I'm going to use my regular everyday terms. If you've got people working around something moving that might, you know, poke you and punch you, you want it to stop at a safe distance. You want it to be able to, you know, operate, quote unquote, safely. You want to make sure you're, no one's going to get hurt. The industry has gone through safety standards and the design standards so that that doesn't happen with these, quote unquote, cobots, right? So what are the sweet spots for it? I have people working around you know, there's an application today. I'll, there's a certain marketplace where there's a lot of fine assembly and you got one person kind of doing the same thing, hurting their fingers and their hands all day long. 
perfect application for a cobot, but why? Why not just a regular industrial robot? Because people are walking around this thing all day long. So when you've got a lot of people, a lot of, lot of foot traffic, perfect spot for a cobot for sure. But that's, to be honest, there's a lot of cobot applications where somebody says, hey, let me put a cobot in there, and us as a manufacturer or the system integrator will say, great, we'll look at that, and then we'll actually determine, hey, that's actually not a safe application. We, there's the age-old you know, analogy, you put a knife on the end of a cobot, it's no longer safe. It's very true, right? Spinning disc going at 3,000 miles, you know, RPM, that's not going to work either, right? So is it truly a safe? Look at the tooling. Is the tooling safe? Blah, blah, blah. But when's a good place for a cobot? You got a lot of people working around there. That's a good spot for a cobot. It's nice. could be slow. You know, that's a good, you know, technical spot for it. your knife example was actually, it brought back a memory about four or five years ago. I was at a very large uh, razor manufacturer for, for shavers, and they were using collaborative robots to pick these razors out of a machine, swing them around, and then put them in the packaging. And I said, guys, just because it's a cobot doesn't mean it's a safe application when you have open razors uh, swinging around. That, 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 that brought back a, a really funny memory. My next question for you is, in a lot of applications of automation, Robots are just part of the solution of the general system that we're building out in a lot of areas. Yeah. What new technologies are you seeing in advance that are allowing robots now to enter these new industries? Sure. So, you know, before a, a robot just did pick and placing because we just had a basic end of arm tooling. What else is out there that's creating new opportunity? So, you know, there's there's a sensing technology, right? So there's vision and, and touch sensing technologies, they've been out there, but they've been getting cheaper and smaller and faster, faster processing. So we've had vision cameras telling robots to avoid here and go here, right? Even doing on the fly kind of audit, you know, adjust my program. I've got something moving and I want to follow it. And I've been able to do this for 15 years. But the cost of that was running eight computers at the same time in a million dollars. So when you know, a certain gaming company came out with a certain camera where you could dance, you know, and do that thing and it would follow you. Oh, yes. Right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah I think well, our audience does too. Yeah. So that, that technology, that's, that's, you know, a good example of one marketplace completely creating an enabling device that us industry folks mm-hmm. took that, took those, you know, those software people and said, hey, can we do something with this on actually now putting this on a robot? So I got to go to one of these facilities. It had been 2012, 2011. And this is a research, government research facility bringing industry people in there. And they were showing us stuff they were doing with these, with these you know, follow me very fast kind of technology. And they were posing the question, could this be now added to those factories? How do I have something go on a shelf and just kind of navigate and pick something off of there? Now that was almost 10, that's 10 years ago. But 10 years ago, you take, you know, certain laws and how things go faster and smaller over time and cheaper. Now there's technology sensors where instead of light curtains and standard, you know, standard industry safety systems, there's a company out there who has a sensor that can detect how fast you're moving and how fast a robot's moving. And that they're going through safety approvals to make sure that that's actually bought per all the standards, but the tech's there for that robot to detect, depending on how fast you're moving and how fast I'm moving, whether or not I'm gonna, you know, make your day, basically. Yeah, I, uh, I like how 
video games and entertainment are leading into manufacturing applications. You know, the way Jake posed that last question, I feel like we really focused around the opportunities around robotics. Let's talk about some of the challenges that robotics are addressing. And I'm going to preface this with saying that we talk about the workforce challenge all day long. Sure. I think we know that robots are an answer to help us address the workforce issue. What's another issue or challenge that you don't think gets talked about enough that robots are helping address? Sure. I mean, besides workforce, I mean, there's always quality. You know, now I'm searching for, wow, what's the thing that's never <laughs> talked about? That's the secret sauce that should be talked about when it comes to robotics. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I mean, part of that's like, where is it not applied today where it could be applied besides just replacing labor? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, I don't know. This is way, way out there, right? In terms of adoption rates now. Okay. Given the, given the amount of, of robots that are out there, if more companies actually adopted and invested in robots, yeah. what would be happening to the cost of products, the overall state of living? More people may be looking for other, you know, other avenues and jobs. There are certain books that have been written that we may be at that point of the precipice where you'd say enough robots, a critical mass of manufacturing has now adopted automation such that... Yeah. What would people then be doing to make mm. a living? Sure. You may be going back to another swing of the Renaissance where there was more creative and more arts potentially. So, all right, that's way far out maybe answer to the question of, well, what's something has been thought I'm about? I'm okay but where you went. It is happy hour. You know, it you is can, happy hour, right? There. Yeah. Yeah. I like how we're like leaning on that as a crutch throughout this conversation. We yeah. That, that was a good justification for a really crappy answer, basically. No, 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 Jerry, no, no. I, where I, are we going to go with this? I, I, like, I, like go, I like getting out there with that answer a little bit. I wouldn't mind to return to the arts a little bit, like the Renaissance era and things like that. But I thought you went a good direction at the start as well, talking about quality and things like that, right? Like, you know, you look around this conference, right? We're really talking a lot about workforce, the challenges that we're having, filling all those jobs. I think it's cool to get some additional perspectives on just, hey, workforce isn't the only issue. It's not the only opportunity or challenge out there. There are other things that automation and robotics are doing in that regard. But this isn't in an interview with me. This is an interview with you. I'm going to hand it back to Jake, and I can tell you have a few more thoughts there, Jerry. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd add a little bit to that, that if I were to say this right now, there's other things you could say, great, what about robots here and there? Currently today, there's such a, there's, there's, it's such a crisis. There's such a crisis in the demand that we currently had. We've gone from our production to record rates, literally record rates were about to increase in one and a half times more in our factories. And that's, you know, past capacity. We're now looking at now building more. That, this, this is just, you know, it, it's, it's, the demand is getting so much higher and we're still not filling it. Still, after two and a half years of record demand, we're still 30% in some, some cases where they can't fill jobs, fill roles. So in some senses, it's what's, there's still a, just a immediate need. We kind of have to get out of to see where that next frontier might be. Is it gonna be inside of automating, again, lower cost uh, uh, robots in that service sector? When am I gonna get that rosy? Is that gonna be out there in the future? You know, so it, it, to be honest, I think it's hard, hard for me to look outside of what this current need is, right? Where else are we not thinking about so far? Because there's just such a current crisis. You know, to add on to your question, Chris, you know, I look at, you know, what robotics are solving. They are solving the labor shortage. They are improving the quality. But I think they're really helping in a lot of areas in terms of cost of scale and, and being able to deliver product to the market at a much lower cost. So the average consumer can partake in the joys of what that brings. You know, we look at a 
a TV 15 or 20 years ago, if you were to go to South, you know, South by Southwest and get a 30 inch flat screen TV, you were paying thousands of dollars. Now I can go on Amazon and pick it up for 69. And, and that's the solution because that technology has advanced in such a way where we can produce that product at such a low cost. And that is because we can automate the production of those components. That's what's driving that down. But as well, you know, we're at a we're at a, a conference that has a lot of medical stuff. And I see the medical industry as they produce new ways or new solutions to help people with their health. They're then turning to automation in a way that allows you to do all these precision manufacturing processes that you were never able to achieve through just labor. The labor might be there, but the labor might not ever be capable of creating that type of product. Yeah, very true. Very true. I mean, they're in the medical device field, right? So you can get surgery done where they don't cut you open anymore. Yeah. Right. Hasn't happened to me yet. Well, it actually, it actually happened to my father. So he went in for, you know, originally a, a cardiovascular for a stent, and then he ended up doing a triple bypass. But it was one of those things is the procedure of that automation being built. There was actually a robot that was helping him during his surgery to make that whole process a lot easier. So it just talks about how automation is impacting people's lives. Going back to that earlier conversation, beyond just automation, they're helping people, people keep, keep people alive in a lot of senses. Absolutely. I mean, not just alive, but you get back out after surgery. There's outpatient surgery that happens today that was never outpatient surgery because there's high precision nanometer type machining, little tools that happen with robot automation. You can walk down one of these aisles here and hit three companies that do that. And that wasn't happening even 10 years ago today, right? But I have a question for you. Do you have a 30-inch TV in your home? Who has a No, well, I have a 30-inch TV in my shed in my backyard. <laughs> I think the other smallest TV is probably about 60 or 70 inches, yeah. Because but, the cost yeah, came yeah, because down, the, Because right? the cost has just massively decreased, right? You can go buy a 60-inch for a couple hundred bucks these days. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, we moved, I moved into a new house. We had a 30-inch TV, one of those you get free when you buy a couch. Yeah. It was on top of the mantle. <laughs> next to the microwave that you can get, right? You, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, next to the microwave that was also free. I'm watching that thing, and literally we're like, let's get the new TV. And it was huge. Like, who's buying these 30-inch TVs? I digress. I, uh... I believe the place for the 30-inch TV is in the kitchen. That I feel like it's a good kitchen size TV, at least in my opinion. Hey, I was going to save this question for the end, but this is a very important question that you just brought up with all this television talk. My question is, who is your favorite pop culture robot? <laughs> my favorite pop culture robot. For real? Oh, man. You talked about Rosie a couple times. Yeah. I keep, you keep making the references. I know. Rosie. <laughs> What's I grew up? I grew up with the Jetsons. I grew up with the Jetsons and, you know, yeah. what was the little guy's name who would yell in and... Oh, the dog? Or? Hey, he made the cogs. He worked for the... No, he's the oh, bald little guy, the anger Sp guy. Spacely Sprockets? Spacely Sprockets. That's yeah, the one, Spacely. Yeah. He's not yeah. a robot guy, but we we're talking about Rosie. My favorite? Okay. Let's see. I, I like iRobot. Yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite. But the fact that that one robot stood again, you know, for the rest of the robots and there was a good one, you know, against all that code in a factory made by robots. I love that movie. Maybe not that one. It's kind of like murder robots. And it's a movie that I would show to high school kids all the time to talk about robots because you always say, okay. what robots do you know? I robots. And I play the scene from that movie where they say, 
you know, that actor comes out and Will Smith says, robots making robots, and that's just stupid. And then I cut to the video of my factory of robots making robots, and the kids are completely freaked out. <laughs> and they're, they're, they say Skynet is coming. I'm like, yeah, it's already here. Maybe you should get a job in robots. recruit the next generation to get into Fear. robotics. It worked with me, with me, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm going to give a shout out to Wally on my end. Jake, I, you probably have a favorite of yours as well. You know, if we're just doing robots in general, R2-D2 was one uh, I think is something I could definitely fall back on. If it was something newer, maybe maybe Ultron in the Marvel movies, because he's he's a full robot. So, you know, maybe a little old school, a little new school with, I gotcha. uh, with those answers. I like, I like the, you know, world destruction robot theme. You clearly robot is one. Yeah. You know, so he, here's my next question. I am. Let's let's dive back into workforce for a second. You know what is what is Fanic doing to help drive and educate? You know what's the goal of putting a lot of robots in high schools and colleges? That when we when we go into facilities, we see a lot of Fanic robots, a lot of LR mates, a lot of CRXs. What is that goal that that Fanic really wants to achieve? Sure, it's that filling that gap in the workforce, that skill set. That's a long many years ago we started that investment. You know, having over 1,400 different schools, universities, training centers, we have a whole department, whole, you know, whole, whole distribution network for that, that market alone. Part of that's knowing that the next workforce has to get trained. Part of that's a great business model. Let me, let me train my future generation in, in a certain, you know, type of robot programming. But a big part of that is our big belief that in the early 2000s, when that big gap was coming, we started our investment into that education market. And that is because... How do you fill the, the how do you fill the workforce gap? You fill the gap. You got to have programs. You have to have places people go to, curriculums, and that was you know it's a huge market out there. And now we've got the fourteen hundred plus you know local educations, universities, training centers, you know, and some of these are are in high schools now. High schools are now starting to develop their own education programs. So why did we do that? I think part of that is yes, we wanted to know to, to fill the fill the gap, but part of that's hey, that's a smart that's a smart play, and we've absolutely that's uh, all of the 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 industry that was using those robots. There was a request at some point, hey, where do we go for training? We can create the you know we can create that gap there, and it's over many many years, and it continues to grow not just in, into this country. Now we're starting to how do we expand that now into you know outside of just the U.S. alone. So uh, we're, we're getting to the bottom of our figurative Irish whiskey glasses here. We're, okay. we're towards the end of the interview. So. I don't see mine, but okay. <laughs> I, I, I figurative, figurative, right? I said figurative. Yeah, there will be real glasses soon, right? It's the afternoon. But, uh, you know, I, I've got a couple final questions here, Jake. I'll pass it off to you after this. But one that's on my mind is, hey, we're here at IME West. You know, a lot of our industry knows this as ATX West. Yeah, I, I, when I was in San Francisco, I would come down here all the time for this show. What's one of the best conversations you've had here today at the show? I think one of my best I had today was learning about companies working together. So this market, this automation market, here you've got a market, you're at a show where you've got multiple markets coming together. Our industry has gotten mature. We were just talking today about how in the early 2000s, it was all about just convincing companies to use robots, and there was an education phase. Now there's so many companies you can go to to find a solution. Now it's which one do I choose? And some of these companies, it's, you know, go over the last 10 years, how many mergers and acquisitions have happened? 
the same faces, the different places, and boy, you can't, you know, you can't tick off somebody because I think this, the, the saying was, if I get it wrong, we just said this at lunch, you can't step on somebody's toes because those toes might be part of the you-know-what that you have to kiss later on, something like that, right? But that's just the maturity of this marketplace where there's a lot more working together. There's Yes, there's always going to be competition. If you're my competitor, I'm going to want to beat you. But at the same time, I worked with you five years ago. There's more of that collaboration that I think in today's day and age, if you want to have a company actually, hey, I want to go through digital transformation, AGVs, MIRs, cobots on material moving. And then I, I have machine tending. I have assembly processes that I need humans to do, but I don't know exactly where to start. It's not one company that does all those things. It is a team of companies. And truth be told, a lot of these companies here, we've worked together one way or another. So I think some of the conversations I've had here have been about, yeah, I worked with them before. We're starting to collaborate. We're starting to see more collaboration. I think which is going to fill the need in the marketplace to meet this crisis critical need. That I'm curious to see what may happen out of that given two or three more years with car companies starting to, to merge even bigger integrators and, and, and technology starting to cross function here. Awesome. You know, I have one more question and I'll, I'll let Chris wrap it up. You know, as we're moving into more of a social media based industry, people are getting more content. They're getting more information online through YouTube, through Twitter, through LinkedIn, all these other places. What could we what could manufacturing companies do better to really engage in that? I would say kids still in middle school and un under, you know, right the manufacturing space isn't something that's going to completely attract them yet, but what could we do to get them excited about joining our industry? TikTok dances. TikTok, robot TikTok dances. No, no, human TikTok dances for people like you right now doing a TikTok dance. Uh, that's they would get like at least a thousand views and everyone here would probably watch that and download it and like it and then forward it on. You know, we could probably do a channel like, you know, Jake, Jake, and you doing a TikTok dance. Look, it's kind of half serious, but that generation, that's what they do. It's not, I, I don't want to, you know, Okay, truth be told, those videos of those, what, thousand ton whatever hydraulic presses and seeing all the things that that mushes and whatever, I'm interested in that. Maybe like little videos of really cool things that just gauge someone's interest, not just the, hey, I'm picking up this cup and I'm taking it out of a machine. More of those fun applications, absolutely. If you're gonna market to that, to that young group, it's what they know. They know fantasy, they know cool things, and I think, if anything, it might be something like that. Let's have a little bit more more fun kind of short videos. Excellent answer. Hey, we really appreciate having you up here, Jerry. Um, you've done a great job, and we even have some beers getting oh, staged man. for us right Look now at, at that. the end of this interview. So thank you. It's good thing these are uh, non-alcoholic. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, it's part of the beer crawl at this point. So I think we got <laughs> some genuine ones. So well, cheers. cheers. It's not Irish or whiskey, yep. but I'll take it. Thank you. So final question's a two-parter. Um, you've been a great sport with us today, Jerry. Is there anything you wish we would have asked you or something we, that you wish we would have talked about that we didn't yet? Your caps. I was going to bring a Detroit Tires cap and make you wear one. That is 100%. You can ask, you know, we're going to talk about uh, that. Let's talk about something besides, you know, let's talk about that. I'm a Cardinals fan. I'll hand it to Jake, who's the only one here wearing a hat today. <laughs> so, you know, obviously Chicago Cubs. And you're welcome. If you're a Tigers fan, you're welcome for Javier Baez, you know, <laughs> bringing him on board. Uh, you guys hey, actually you know, have some good teammates now. Yeah, yeah. 
like I said, caring and sharing, right? Yeah, it's a whole absolutely. new world now. You know, the Cubs were just so great. That's why we had to completely break up our team and give our players to the rest of the league. Yeah, that's the next thing. Baseball with robots. We've wanted to see it for years. You know, honestly, they could get rid of those umpires and go to automated, <laughs> automated, uh, you know, umpiring. No, I want robots, robots, but human umpires. That's what I want. <laughs> you know, what would happen? Yeah, absolutely. It's a strike. The absolutely. robot's like, no, it's not. <laughs> All right. You know, it's, it's, you know, robots in general, it's exciting. It's actually closer than that. First robotics, you know, is something that's yeah. awesome in, in high school. And, you know, 2 million kids right now are actually building robots oh. to compete against each other yeah. to get excited about manufacturing. So, you know, and it's happening right now. If people are listening to this podcast from the audience, go look up at first robotics and go check out a robot competition. You'll be amazed what 13, 14 and 15 year olds are making. They are. You yeah, know, it's with, incredible. With they're, they're taking those sensors that those expensive companies spent millions of dollars on. You know, we so we sponsor our own robot camps and things like that. We had seven year olds building their own self-driving car. And that was ridiculous for, for, for me to see. I, I think part. Here's me. At a serious topic is, look, you don't necessarily need what you might think is that that standard educational track to get into the robots and automation. You can go through, you know, a, a robot camp, go through first robotics, and you've got a lot of the skill sets that major companies are hiring today. If there was a place to go into is, is a lot of these pent up communities that have talent and the work for or the, you know, work ethic. And yeah, whether it be first robotics or any Lego league or whatever there is, completely get into that. Donate. It's, I feel like it's the Bob Barker part where it's like, you know, donate to your local, uh, <laughs> invest into, yeah. Anyways, but yeah, yeah, I'm not sure where that came from, but yeah, yeah, first robotics. Hey, that's that's uh, the the sidebar conversations that evolve towards the end of the interview are always some of the best. Where's the bet? Where can we find Fanuk? What's what's the booth number? That Fanuk, is it. Fanuk, Fanuk. I knew I was gonna go back to that at the end of it. <laughs> you know, I, those are things that I probably should know, and I will tell you. <laughs> Hold on, I have to get my prop. It doesn't say on here, but uh, you'd go to the website and you'd look up Fanuc Robotics and you'd be able to find us on the great IME West search tool for your find your booth. Perfect. We and can edit that in later, right? Booth number. Oh, absolutely. For anyone that listens to this podcast after the fact, manufacturinghappyhour.com. Lots of great spots to connect with you after the show is over as well. And with that, hey, we just want to say cheers to all of you. Thanks for listening today and enjoy the rest of the show. And Jerry, cheers. thank you so much for jo uh, joining us this afternoon. Yep. Thanks, fellas. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thank you to Jerry and the Fanuc America team for making this episode possible. Hopefully you, the listener, got to enjoy a beer or Irish whiskey along with us as we were having this conversation. But if not, regardless, you can learn more or access any of the information we talked about in this episode over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 96. Finally, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, IME West, the group that hosted this trade show back in April 2022. Regardless of when you're listening to this, even if it's well beyond that, you can count on their host organization, Informa Markets, to be hosting a great manufacturing conference somewhere across the U.S. In fact, I think as this episode airs, or as I know this episode is airing, they're in the middle of their IME South Conference in Charlotte, North Carolina in June 2022. 
Anyway, check out Informa Markets, or you can always access them by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash IME West. You can find a link to connect with them there. I know I said that was the last thing, but I lied. Finally, finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts or at Spotify. Or if you really enjoyed this episode and you're also hosting live events or you want to have a manufacturing happy hour done live at one of your events, well, hey, reach out. Find me on LinkedIn, Chris Lukey, easy to look up. Would love to connect with you there. With that, that is enough announcements for this week, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.